right. Happy Easter, everybody. It is so, so good to have you here at City First Church. And I just want to say, if you're joining us online or in person at one of our auditoriums or at God Behind Bars, we are just so excited that you are here because the empty tomb means that we can have a full life. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, I heard a story uh, this week that came out of our school, Christian Life Schools, and it was from our pre-kindergarten area that a four-year-old was being picked up by his mom after school, and the mom asked him and said, hey, um, what did you learn today? What did you learn at school? And he goes, oh, mom, it was amazing. I had the best day ever. I found out that George Washington was the first president of the United States, and he died for me and rose from the dead. It was amazing. <laughs> and the mom was like, mm, I think you're getting George and Jesus a little mixed up here. I don't know about you, but uh, every once in a while, I'll hear a story that just doesn't seem like it's quite right, like it's just a little far-fetched or a little bit off. And even as a pastor this weekend, I would say this, that I talk to people, and there are some people that say this weekend, this whole Easter story, there's parts of it that seem a little far-fetched, maybe a little bit unbelievable. Like people could say, yeah, I believe that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. In fact, there were non-religious historians that recorded the fact that Jesus was a real person, that he lived. And so people say, well, I can, I can believe that. Or, or maybe they'd say, you know, I believe they had some great teachings. Some people would say brilliant teachings. I could believe that. Or, or you know, I, I believe that he loved people and that, that he hung around people that, that needed him, even helped people. And, and maybe even some people would say, that there were miracles that surrounded his life, and they could believe that. That doesn't seem far-fetched. But then there's a part of the story that for some people is just a little hard to understand. Like, for example, when the part where he talks about that he was on mission, that his life was solely to come so that he would die for us because we are separated from our creator because of our sin. So Jesus said, I've come so that I would die and pay the penalty for the world's sin. And some people go, okay, that just seems a little bit far-fetched. And then he went on to say this. He said, after I die, I'm going to be resurrected. That's a really fancy term for come back to life again. And at that point, some people say, okay, that seems a little bit unbelievable. Jesus, the good teacher. Jesus, the great prophet. Jesus, the revolutionary communicator. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can believe that. But Jesus, the one that comes to die and then come back to life again, hmm, you struggle with that. Now, if you find yourself in that category of a person that maybe believes part of the Jesus story, but maybe not all of the Jesus story, I want you to know that the resurrection story is not one where you must suspend your disbelief. And what I mean by that is this, is the resurrection is actually a historical event. In fact, get this, more people witness Jesus back to life again than witness the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Take that, George Washington, all right? 
You see, this is something that was a historical event. In fact, it dumbfounded people. It shocked people. And many people believed Jesus was who he said he was. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 in the Bible, it says, if Christ has not been raised, in other words, if the whole resurrection story is fiction, if it's a fairy tale, if he's not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. That's why the resurrection is literally the centerpiece of our faith. This is not just a nice little holiday, but rather instead, our entire faith hinges on the resurrection. And if it didn't happen, then why are we here? And why are we here any weekend? You see, everything hinges on the historical event of the resurrection, but it's way more than an event. It's way bigger than just an event. It literally is something that profoundly changed the world. You know what? The Bible says that God sent his son, John 3.16, by the way. You might have heard this verse or seen somebody in the end zone of a football game holding up the sign, John 3.16, right? This verse basically said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for our sin. In other words, we needed a savior. Now, what does the word savior mean? It means this. It means rescuer. That's actually, if you take the word savior and look at the root word, it means rescuer. And I believe our society is obsessed with saviors and rescuers. You're like, well, what do you mean? Well, if you don't believe me, just look at our passion for superhero movies. Right? In the last decade, Marvel Studios, with its 22 films have grossed some $17 billion, more than any movie franchise in all of history. So whether you love the Avengers, or maybe you have young kids and you love the Incredibles. How many of you love the Incredibles? I love the Incredibles. Elastigirl, right? I love the Incredibles. Whether you love the Avengers, the Incredibles, I believe we in our culture, and it's not just Americans, it's around the world, we love the idea of someone to come to save the day, even someone that saves us from our day, right? We need a Savior. We love the idea of a rescuer. You know, the original superhero was Superman, and back in the 1930s, in the era of comic books, in 1938, the writers of the comic book Superman talked about him saying something in the lowest lane that I think applies to us today in 2022, and this is what they said that Superman said. He said, you don't think the world needs a savior, but every day I hear people crying for one, and I think that's the way it is even today. The world is longing for a rescuer, longing for something to come along or someone to come along to rescue them out of the pain, out of the stress. I don't know about you, the last two years, I feel like stress has gone through the roof, not only personally, but in our culture, right? To rescue us from shame, from past decisions we've made, to rescue us from struggle, from sickness, from war, hello, from regret, from the death that is all around us. You know, Jesus, though, didn't come as a superhero. He came as a servant. Why? Because we didn't need someone with a cape. We need someone with compassion. We, he didn't come wielding a sword or some weapon, but rather his weapon was love. And you know what? He came 
not powerful in the sense of where he was on a throne and everybody, you know, gave him all the credit that he deserved. And he didn't live a life of opulence and riches, but rather instead he lived with the people just like you and me. The average Joes and Janes, just like you and me. He shared meals with them. He walked with them. He rubbed shoulders with them. Do you realize that Jesus died the same way that he lived? Now let me explain what that means. See, Jesus' death and the story of his death is not about one cross. We many times focus on one cross. It's actually about three. Three crosses. The Bible says that Jesus died on a cross between two thieves. One was on his right and one was on his left. And during Jesus' ministry, like before he went to the cross, he, we read stories about he was accused of hanging out with sinners, people like you and people like me. He hung out with people that had wrong motives and people that made mistakes and dishonorable people. He hung out with the outcasts of society. He spoke with the marginalized. He helped the sick. And you know what? He defended those, and this is important for us to hear, especially in our culture today. He defended those that society had canceled. Isn't that interesting? And that he worked alongside these 12 disciples who were looked over and they were rejected back in the day. And he picked the rejects of the day and said, hey, come with me and we're going to go change the world together. Isn't that amazing? And so he died the same way he lived. He died surrounded by sinners. The same way that he lived, surrounded by sinners. This is the real Jesus. See, some of you maybe had painted for you a different type of Jesus. This is the God who walked amongst the broken. The Son of God who was willing to look past people's faults and shortcomings, and dare I say, even our faults and our shortcomings, our failures. And you know what he did? He pursued relationship, and he does that even today. So while Jesus hung on the cross, one thief, he decided to hurl insults at Jesus. He was like, hey, listen, if you're the Son of God and you're all powerful and all that, why don't you get yourself off of this cross, and while you're at it, why don't you rescue us too? But the other thief told that thief to be quiet and said, hey, listen, this man is who he says that he is. He is the Messiah. And he looked at Jesus and he said, I believe. And Jesus looked back to him and said, today, I will see you in heaven. I'll see you in paradise. Think about it. Not, not much has changed. In fact, even today in our culture, Jesus usually elicits one of those two emotions. You either accept him or you reject him, but you cannot ignore him. He is there. And you know, you talk about Jesus in our society today and all kinds of emotions. People may cry, people may curse, but this is what I know. Regardless of what emotion you have towards Jesus, he loves you with an unconditional love, which means you don't deserve it, you can't earn it, and that he still died for you. In fact, your face was in his mind as he hung on that cross. You say, how is that possible? He's God. 
infinitely powerful. He had the world's faces in his mind, each of us individually, as he hung on that cross. And he died for each and every one of us. And he died on a cross that was not meant for him, by the way. That cross was constructed for someone else, someone named Barabbas. Barabbas, many theologians believe, was actually probably the ringleader of the two thieves that were on either side of Jesus. He was probably the head kind of mafia gangster. He was the head thief. He was a rebel rouser. He was a robber. And guess what? He was supposed to be on that cross. But the Bible says that Jesus and Barabbas were put in front of the crowd. And and Pilate, who was the Roman governor, said, Who should we crucify? And the crowd said, Crucify Jesus. They voted Jesus to die. And not the true thief. Not the true criminal. So Jesus took the place of the one who was supposed to die. And that is our story. Our sin really has given us a death sentence. We are far from perfect. And God is perfect. And anything less than perfect must pay a price. So you know what? Jesus said, no, no, no. I don't want God's children to die and pay a price of a Christless eternity. But rather instead, I... Jesus said, we'll take their place and I will go to the cross. And you know what? He takes the place of those who deserve punishment like you and me. If you think about it, his cross was meant for a thief. And really, I'm going to say something here that's going to make you scratch your head, but maybe Jesus really was a thief. I know when I say that, some of you are like going, you're going to get struck by lightning. Maybe Jesus was the thief. You know why? Because we read stories that he took the illness from those who were sick. He took away the affliction of the deaf and the mute. He took away hunger from the crowds who gathered to hear him. He took away the darkness of the blind man that couldn't see. He took away the oppression of the demon-possessed man. He took away the shame of the woman who had bled for 12 years and was rejected by society. He took away the suffering of the lepers. He took away the fear of the disciples. He stole failure from Peter. He took away injustice from the woman who was caught in adultery. I'm telling you, Jesus was a thief in all the right ways, but yet Jesus is still taking away the sins of those who choose to believe in him. And yet he never sinned. He was a thief that never sinned. This is the real Jesus. This is the true Jesus who takes away our loneliness, who steals away our depression, who takes away our self-hate and our pride. He takes away regret and our disgrace, and he steals our hearts. He stole in the hearts of billions of people in the last 2,000 years. Oh, he is the perfect thief. He takes away the addictions and the brokenness and the sadness of people. You see, there were not two thieves on those crosses. 
that day, there were actually three thieves hanging, but one of them had never, ever sinned. He was perfect. He was holy, but he was willing to take and seal those things and put him upon him, those things upon himself and pay the penalty for those things. And he died a painful and a shameful death for you and for me. And then he said these words. And maybe even if you've never gone to church before, you probably heard these words before. That Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. It's complete. What did he mean by that? He meant that mission. Remember the, the mission that seems somewhat unbelievable, a little far-fetched, that he would die for our sins. He said, it is complete. The penalty has been paid. The debt has been paid. He paid it all. The debt, and he said, it's finished. The debt has been paid. And at that point, he breathed his last breath. The Bible says that, that a Roman soldier came and stuck a spear in his side to make sure that he was truly dead. And the Bible says that blood and water flowed out. In other words, at that point, that he had physically, medically died. So his body was taken off the cross and put into a tomb. And there, Jesus lay lifeless, still, until Sunday, until Easter Sunday. When Easter Sunday came, something supernatural happened, and the world would never be the same again. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead and then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and I will get him. 
Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go, go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. more than story. See, Jesus is alive and it takes everyone a little while to figure out that he has come back to life. And really, it's the same today. It's taking some people some time to understand that the Easter story is not a fairy tale, but actually Jesus is alive. He is risen. Have you ever lost something of great value? Like maybe you were in a crowd and, and all of a sudden your young son or daughter bolts and you can't find them. And you begin to panic and you run around and you're looking for that child. Well, you know what? Mary and Peter and John have lost something very valuable and they start running around. If you read the resurrection story, there's a lot of running in this story. Mary runs from the tomb back to the disciples. John runs from where they were at to the tomb. Peter runs from where they were at to the tomb. And in John's gospel, John writes that he beat Peter to the tomb. Running, running, running. And some of us, there's been a lot of running when it comes to finding Jesus. Some of us are running towards him. Some of us are running away from him. But all of us are searching for something valuable and important. We want a life that is full of purpose and means something. We, we are searching for true acceptance, not based upon what we can do or how we can perform, but someone that will love us and accept us just the way that we are. We're running around looking for real peace. That's a really hard thing to find nowadays. Peace. Or maybe we're looking for joy. We're looking for happiness. We're running. We're frantically searching for it in our everyday careers, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. People are searching, running, looking for something to fill the void inside, whether that be money or accomplishment or vices or relationships, we're running. But instead of searching for something, maybe we should be searching for someone, Jesus. See, there's this misconception, and I guarantee you it's in this auditorium, every auditorium, even in the living room that you sit in right now watching this, there's a misconception that people think they have to understand everything about Jesus and the Bible before they can believe. And that's not true. Because even back in the day, it says this at the resurrection story. Let me read a couple of the verses that Sharon just read for us. It says, finally, the other disciple, meaning John, who had reached the tomb first, 
also went inside. He saw and he believed. So he saw that the body was not there. And he believed Mary who said the body is gone. But listen to this. They, meaning the disciples, still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still don't get it. They still don't understand. And some of you really need to hear this. You need to hear that you can believe in Jesus and yet not understand everything yet. It's okay. You don't need to know everything about the Bible. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. We say this all the time, but the church is not a museum of the saints. It's rather a hospital for those that are spiritually sick. They come saying, I'm broken. Can God fix me? You see, when I found Jesus many years ago, over three decades ago, I was far from perfect. In fact, and you know what? I didn't even understand everything about God or Jesus or the Bible. I was running actually from him for a long time. I was running to money and things and relationship and alcohol and drugs and all kinds of stuff that my culture in that day said would make me happy and give me joy. And with all that running, I'll tell you what I found. I found emptiness. And I was tired, like some of you are today, you're tired. You've accomplished great things in your career. You got a lot of stuff. Maybe you're battling something that is a big challenge in your life right now. Maybe it's a physical challenge, a financial challenge. Maybe it's a relationship challenge. But you've been running, running, running. And guess what? You're tired also. Easter is for tired people. Who are sick of trying to fill their own lives with things that only temporarily give them happiness. How's all that running working out for you? Do you need a new life? Do you want an Easter life? Because Easter is not just one day out of the year. I know we celebrate it one day out of the year, but actually Jesus gives us a resurrected life, a new life. He's the only one that can do it. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Jesus died for everyone. That includes you. And you're like, oh, you don't know what I've done. I don't. But God does. And he loves you anyway. Remember the Jesus who died the way that he lived, surrounded by sinners? Well, he died for every one of us, and we fall into that category. So that those who receive what? A new life. Not a warmed up, duct taped, bandaged up life. The old life. No, no, no. A new life. The old life goes away, and God says that a new life comes. No longer do they live for themselves. In other words, Jesus becomes the leader of their life. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Jesus was not raised for the dead just to be raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead for you and I because he loves us with an unconditional love. What kept Jesus on the cross was not that he was weak or powerless. He was God. He could have snapped his fingers and everything could have been obliterated at that point. But instead, what kept him on the cross was love you and me and he loves you just the way that you are but listen to this he loves you enough to not keep you the way that you are 
He wants to give you a better life. He wants to give you something more. That's what Jesus offers today at Easter. So do you need a Savior? Oh, listen. Even if Jesus becomes your rescuer, it doesn't mean life is going to be perfect. But now you have God in you, walking with you, that you are forgiven, that you're given his strength, that you discover his purpose, that he begins to change you to become more and more like him little by little every single day. You see, this is the new life. And most of all, someday, heaven is our home. If you know Jesus, heaven is your home someday. So don't run from Jesus. Instead, run to him today. And as we close, I'm going to invite everybody to just take a moment and bow your heads and close your eyes, wherever you're at right now, even in your living room. And why do we do this? Well, we do this at church so you don't get distracted. That's the reason why. And today, if you want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, if you want him to be the rescuer, the savior, to erase every wrong you've ever done, and heaven can be your home someday, but right now on this earth you'd have a relationship with God that right now you don't have, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. You're not joining a church. This is not becoming a member of City First. This is about saying, Jesus come into my life. Forgive me. I want to live for you. And for some of you, you prayed this prayer a long time ago, but you've ran from God. I'm going to encourage you to run back to him today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, can we all say this prayer together? Jesus, I need a rescue. Forgive me for all my sin. I believe you died for me. And you rose from the dead. Thank you for loving me and giving me a new life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, can I tell you something? You just prayed the most important prayer of your entire life. Come on, everybody. To everyone that prayed that prayer, can you put your hands together?